welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Hello, America. It is Eric Erickson here. So glad to be with you today. I hope the weather's great where you are. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-973-7425. Oh, my goodness gracious. We have so much to get into today. Over the weekend, uh, things happened and... Well, you know, I want to spend some time on this later, but I just, can you bear with me for a moment? Because there's a point I need to make, but to make that point, I need you to know, I'm just, I'm not talking out of my rear end here. You know, I was a lawyer for six years and one of my specialties was election law. And through that, I fell into campaigns. I'd already been active in politics, college Republicans working on campaigns, went to campaign management school while I was a lawyer, learned how to run campaigns, began running campaigns. And in congressional races out in the heartland, your campaign strategist kind of becomes the jack of all trades. So I was having to write scripts for TV and radio, having to find people to cut them, having to do the booking for them, having to design the mail pieces, having to get the mail pieces out, having to do the walk lists, having to get people to walk. I know campaigns. I know campaigns. I have been running campaigns for a long time. I stopped when I got into TV and radio, except for one campaign of a friend of mine. But I stopped because I knew it would become a conflict of interest and people would be trying to get attention and they would want to hire me. And I would be having to tell people that I worked with, no, I'm sorry, you can't come on radio and I can't talk about you on TV, it would be a conflict of interest. And I just, I gave it up. It would have put me in a bad position. It would have put my employers in a bad position, but I stay up on it. At some point, I want to do a video series on how to run for local office because not only do I know how to do it, I actually had a very good win-loss record. Uh, I, I won way more races than I lost. I know how to read the polls. I know how to read the water and read the tea leaves and, and get a sense of stuff. And I have to tell you all of that because of something else I've told you, and that is that the biggest danger to the Democrats today is to be in the bubble they are in with the media, where there is this self-fulfilling feedback loop among Democrats in the media where they affirm each other and everything they believe, and so there's no real challenge to it. We've got to have two good political parties in this country to challenge each other because the challenge and the give and take and the pushback actually make each side better. There's a reason monopolies over time tend to collapse and and, and get sclerotic and don't innovate. It's because without any healthy competition, they don't have to innovate. They don't have to improve. And we see this with political parties as well. We see this in California was there's no real uh, duopoly there. There's just the Democratic monopoly. The state has collapsed in Georgia. You see see Democrats and Republicans both on their A game this year. The GOP now has actually a competitive threat. They've got to stay in charge. Same thing happening in Florida with Ron DeSantis. You see him on his A game. By the way, NBC News today is reporting Hispanics are breaking decisively towards Ron DeSantis in Florida. And by the way, Hispanic voters in Florida overwhelmingly okay with his Martha's Vineyard uh, effort, and the media told us that was not so, and Hispanic voters would hate it. Nope. Turns out Hispanic voters in Florida, where DeSantis is on the ballot, are okay with it. I tell you all of this as the lead-up 
to the important point, the point you must inwardly digest and mark. For the last several months, the media has pushed a democratic narrative, and it goes something like this. Republicans will take away your right to an abortion, and look at all the good Democrats have done. Democrats under Joe Biden with a Democratic-controlled Congress had one of the most productive Congresses ever. Never mind, it really wasn't. It was spun by the reporters, not just the Democratic partisans, but by the reporters as being highly productive. They got bipartisan infrastructure done. They got the CHIPS Act passed. They got Build Back Better passed as the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. They were able to pass meaningful legislation on climate change through the Inflation Reduction Act. They were able to get the largest COVID stimulus package kept Americans from falling through the cracks during COVID. And the media attributed the Democratic bounce to that in the polling, except there's a problem. If you've listened to this program, you've understood the problem. But the media and the Democrats in their bubble and feedback loop totally missed it, and so they totally misdiagnosed it. And so here, 15 days from the election, doom is upon them, and they don't know what to do. There hasn't been a Democratic bounce. I know you think there has been a Democratic bounce over August, September But it's not really a Democratic bounce so much as it's Republicans cratered. Maybe it was a dead cat bounce for the Democrats. You know, a dead cat falling bounces. It looks like the Democratic bounce was a dead cat bounce. It was a bounce exaggerated into looking like it was a bounce because Republicans cratered. And Republicans cratered on two fronts. One... Abortion. Right after Roe v. Wade was ended by the Supreme Court in Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health, the vocal Republicans who rushed forward, the vocal conservatives who rushed forward, said, well, now we need to pass laws not just banning it, but arresting women and throwing them in jail for having abortions. And the media gave that disproportionate coverage. And other Republicans were caught flat-footed. They weren't sure how to talk about it. Whether you like Lindsey Graham or not, He did something useful. Lindsey Graham trotted out a federal piece of legislation, maligned, by the way, by a lot of conservatives. But he trotted out a 15-week abortion ban. And many conservatives said, wait a second, we fought all this time for it to be a state issue, and now we're going to nationalize it? This is insane. And Democrats said, see, see, they want to ban abortion after 15 weeks. But what that did is it forced... Democrats into revealing their extremist position. So Lindsey Graham puts forward a piece of legislation that says we draw the line at 15 weeks, which forced the media to ask the Democrats, when do you draw the line? Raphael Warnock on a debate stage said, well, uh, woman and the doctor, too many people in the room. And Herschel Walker responded, pastor, there's a baby in the room too. Stacey Abrams Abortion until birth because it's an economic issue, which begs the question of why stop at birth 
I mean, a baby three weeks out of the womb is more expensive than a baby three minutes from coming into the world. Why stop abortion at birth if it's an economic issue? Democrats around the country began to become defensive about their abortion on demand until birth exception, and it didn't play well with voters because Democrats and the media in their bubble have long misinterpreted abortion data. Most Americans do not want a ban on abortion, but most Americans favor bans on abortion after 15 weeks. Most Americans are fine with abortion until 15 weeks and thereafter, and then they rapidly consolidate into a position against abortion. And the Democrats and the media in their bubble forgot all of that. And so they began to alienate swing voters on the issue of abortion. The other reason for the Democratic bounce was Trump, the Mar-a-Lago raid. It put Trump front and center again. Voters really don't like Donald Trump. They don't. I'm sorry. Voters just don't like Donald Trump. You may like Donald Trump, but your anecdote is not the data. The data shows disproportionately voters don't like Trump. Now, they like him in comparison to Biden right now, but they don't like him. And the moment the Mar-a-Lago raid came out, it fixated voters on Donald Trump and reminded them, well, I don't really like that SOB. And all these people defending him, the voters got alienated from them. Well, then inflation hit. Multiple Republicans, multiple pollsters, and even one Democrat tell me that the moment the inflation report came out a week and a half ago was the moment the door broke open for the GOP. The Democrats were caught so flat-footed by 8.3% inflation, it reminded voters of all the other problems, and the Republicans began to close the campaign on crime. Now, why crime? Why crime instead of inflation? Because crime is a cultural issue that drags voters in the direction of the GOP. See, all the voters who are going to vote on the economy, you didn't have to push them too hard to go to the GOP. But there was a remnant of independent swing voters, mostly women, who don't consider themselves culture warriors, even though they are, who tend to be pro-choice, who don't like Republicans. And crime is the closeout issue. It's the one in the focus groups behind the scenes Republicans knew could persuade those independent female voters. See, in the focus groups the media does with the Democrats, these issues don't come up because they're in the bubble together. Crime's not an issue they talk about. Crime appears to be down, according to them. Republicans in their focus groups realized crime was a closing issue to persuade independent swing voters, and it's worked. But now there's this, Stan Greenberg. He's one of the most respected Democratic pollsters. Democrats have been urging that their closeout message be to highlight all the good they've done in their very productive session of Congress that I've talked to you about, about the uh, stimulus plan, about the Inflation Reduction Act, about uh, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, about climate change, about all those things. Well, it turns out, turns out those are the least popular messages possible. This is from Stan Greenberg in in Politico Playbook. In memos, private conversations, and interviews, Greenberg has been imploring the party to, let's put this bluntly, shut the hell up about all the work it's done. 
It's not that voters don't care. He says voters actively turn against Democrats when they hear it. It's our worst performing message, Greenberg told West Wing Playbook. I've tested it. I did Biden's exact words, his exact speech, and that's the test where we lost all our leads. It says to the voters that this election is about my accomplishments as a leader and not the challenges that you're experiencing. It's a tone-deaf message inside a bubble. And there's no one in the media to correct the Democrats on it because the media have been pushing this as well. How many times in the last three months have you heard the media say the Democrats had a highly successful legislative year in Congress? They got so much done to their credit. Turns out that alienates the voters. Why? Because the voters don't feel like any of that successful legislating has improved their lives. And so to the voters, it comes off as, you should thank us. And voters do not want to thank elected officials for anything, particularly when inflation is high and crime is on the rise. I could not have scripted this campaign season better for the Republicans. In politics, there's a thing called peaking too soon. Democrats say they peaked too soon. It's not that they peaked. It's that the Republicans collapsed but then rebounded. But there's a closeout message. Republicans held their fire until after Labor Day because that's when the voters pay attention. And the Democrats know this, but they forgot it because in the summer they became so fixated on abortion. They became so fixated on how bad the Republicans are, how bad Donald Trump is, how bad January 6th was. And they ran it and ran it and ran it, and they saturated the airways. They saturated the markets. They saturated people's minds. And the Republicans waited and waited until after Labor Day. It's like don't fire till you see the whites of their eyes in politics. They waited until Labor Day, and they began to flood the zone on the economy and on crime. And the Democratic message was already so supersaturated, it allowed a new message to penetrate the American psyche. And that worked to the Republicans' benefit. It's how you run campaigns. I've said repeatedly, and I want to say it again, I want to ask, how did the Democrats get so bad at this? Let's pause and just talk about what's going on in the country for a moment. We got sky-high inflation. We got runaway government spending. Trust in Washington is completely eroded. When government is this dysfunctional, you got to change the course of the country. You know you have to. That's why I'm excited about the work Americans for Prosperity is doing. They're focused on policy solutions that actually improve people's lives, unlike so many in D.C. who just want to play political football and have power. Americans for Prosperity doesn't just come up with solutions. They act on those solutions. They have the largest network of community activists in the country. They are out there every day talking to millions of their fellow Americans. If you're interested in seeing how you can get started with Americans for Prosperity in your community, visit americansforprosperity.org slash Eric today. That's americansforprosperity.org slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Listen, I, I got to have the attention of, of particularly those of you in the Southeast. This is kind of important. On Friday night, starting at 5 p.m., I am doing a, a gathering in Kennesaw, Georgia, the Governor's Gun Club, largest indoor skeet shooting facility. You can come uh, check out the range. 
They've got everything there for you. You don't have to bring anything. We'll have bourbon. Uh, you don't have to drink, though. There's a VIP ticket. You can come early, uh, hang out with me, sample some bourbons, try the range. Uh, if you're drinking, you can't shoot at the same time, but they'll give you a voucher to come back so you don't have to pay uh, again. And then if you just want a general admission ticket, come on to the event Hang out with me, Rich McCormick, future member of Congress, Cody Hall from Governor Kemp's campaign. I will be providing you some of the insights to some briefings I've had while I was in Washington and some other inside knowledge. I'm uh, doing one of those things where I'm saving some insider scoops for you guys on Friday. Uh, and what to see in the last week of the campaign. We will be um, only slightly more than seven days out from the election. If you want to come, text the word bourbon, B-O-U-R-B-O-N, to 33777. I will send you a link back almost immediately to the ticket portal. Buy a ticket. VIP tickets come early. General admission come just for the speaking. Um, Come hang out with me and you will get some of the insider knowledge. I give some on radio. I've been saving some just for this event on Friday. It's going to be fun. Now, there's a story and I got to do this because I caught it over the weekend. I'm kind of just gobsmacked by this. Joe Biden glitched. On television, Joe Biden glitched. I'm going to play you the audio. He was in a interview, in an interview, with Jonathan Capehart, who's a liberal columnist. It ran on MSNBC, and Joe Biden glitched, so much so that Capehart recognized Joe Biden was glitching and audibly intervened to try to reset the buffer on Joe Biden. And it was so noticeable that Joy Reid, who played the clip, then interviewed Capehart afterwards and went like five octaves higher, more shrill than she normally is, trying to wave away the glitch as if it was intentional by design and no big deal. It was striking that even Joy Reid knew he was glitching and had to make a big deal about explaining it to pretend it wasn't. And nobody in the media is talking about this. This is unedited, y'all. I have not made that formal decision, but it's my intention my intention to run again. And we have time to make that decision. Uh, Dr. Biden is for it. Mr. President. Oh. Dr. Biden thinks that, uh, my wife thinks that, uh, that I, uh, that, that, we're, that we're doing something very important and that I shouldn't walk away from it. Joseph R. Biden, President of the United States. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jonathan. Joining me now from Dover, Delaware, is Jonathan Capehart, host of The Sunday Show on MSNBC, and Michael Betschloss, NBC News presidential historian. And Jonathan, I had to laugh at the back because Joseph Robinette Biden was not going to really tell us what Dr. Biden really thinks about whether he should run for president. <laughs> that was a very diplomatic. I listened to Joy Reid there. Very diplomatic. No, no, no. He, he literally, he glitched. On live television, like his head nods down like he's fallen asleep and he starts kind of bobbing his head. And and Jonathan Gaper, Mr. President. And then he says, Jill Biden, Dr. Biden, uh, doc, doc, what thinks? Um, when Donald Trump gingerly walked down a ramp at West Point, MSNBC spent multiple days on it. CNN spent time on it. The New York Times and the Washington Post and USA Today all ran front page stories about it. Joe Biden just glitched live on television for everyone to see and the media acts like it's no big deal don't pay attention to your lying eyes it's phenomenal how state-run media operates these days
When you're ready to hop into a soft, cozy bed, your sheets make a big difference. Bolin Brand Sheets use only the best 100% organic cotton threads on earth for superior softness that only gets more luxurious with every wash. I know because I sleep in Bolin Brand Sheets. And let me tell you, you know, they start off like your standard bed sheet and you're thinking, what's the big deal? Well, wash them. You see the difference. Wash them again. You feel the difference more and more. They get softer over time and they've got the perfect weight. They've got that weight in the summertime where you feel like substantively there's something on you, but yet you're not sweating to death. And in the wintertime, it's just the perfect snug fit for the Bolin Brand Sheets. They focus on thread quality, not quantity, although the quality and the quantity both are fantastic. Now, they got over 25,000 rave customer reviews made from the highest quality threads you can get. Bowl and Branch Signature Sheets come in nine colors. They fit all mattress sizes. You will feel the difference. And again, you got a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping and returns. What do you have to lose? Try them. Keep washing them. They get softer and softer. Go to Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D branch.com. Use promo code Eric. You'll get 20% off your first set of sheets and free shipping with the promo code Eric, my name at bolinbranch.com. Again, B-O-L-L-A-N-D branch.com. The promo code Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I, 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 I find the collapse of Stacey Abrams down in Georgia to be remarkable. And I want to talk about that at some point. But before I get to any of that, what I also find remarkable is what's shaping up in Arizona. It is a remarkable turnaround. Republicans and Democrats alike wrote off Blake Masters in his campaign out there. He had that stunning debate. We talked up his debate performance against Mark Kelly out there. He had some great lines. And the polling in the last month after that debate performance where you could see him on stage as himself and not as the media said he was, it's just remarkable turnaround. That race is now tied in Arizona, and Blake Masters, I think, is going to win, and the GOP may get 53 seats. And it just so happens that Blake Masters, the Republican candidate for the Senate in Arizona, joining me by phone. Blake, how are you? Eric, doing great. Thank you for having me on. I, I got to tell you, your debate performance against Mark Kelly, we played multiple clips of it on the show after that happened. Uh, the lack of do nothing from him, the water crisis in Arizona, he doesn't seem to be invested in, which I, you know, my wife and I, we love to take our kids out to Arizona. Uh, and it's, it's remarkable the signs we see all the time, even in the hotels, to be mindful of water usage and stuff. It's a problem that he's done absolutely nothing on. And that debate, all of a sudden, it's like a switch flips out there and the media caricatures of you as they've savaged you to protect Mark Kelly. So they're like, oh, this guy is nothing like what the media thought. And you're off to the races and now a tied race. That's right. We've got the momentum. I think that debate was an inflection point. Um, you know, I, I honestly, I knew Mark Kelly was going to struggle because his record is horrible, right? He, he, he likes to pretend to be some kind of moderate, some kind of independent. He's nothing of the kind. That's campaign Kelly. Uh, DC Mark Kelly just votes however Chuck Schumer tells him to. He votes in lockstep. 
for Joe Biden's agenda hasn't worked. Of course, we've got open borders, double digit inflation, rising crime. Uh, the world is a mess because of Joe Biden and his agenda. So I knew Mark Kelly would struggle to defend this indefensible agenda. Uh, although I got to confess, I didn't think he'd be that bad. I thought he might have appeared <laughs> a little bit. And so I think, look, he had to lie. He, they have to lie about me. The media wants me to lose. Mark Kelly, with all his, his massive war chest, uh, they, they lie about me. They lie about his record. I have the luxury of only needing to tell the truth. And so that's what I just try to do on the debate stage and let the chips fall where they may. I think Arizona saw a pretty clear contrast between me and Senator Kelly that night. What's so striking to me really is that I know the media does this. I, I've, I've been at Fox, I've been at CNN, and it's just uh, during wave years for Republicans, usually about three, four weeks out, they try to do all the covering for Democrats, and then suddenly they can't deny reality anymore, and, and they start actually telling what's going on on the ground. And What's going on on the ground is it looks like in Arizona, voters actually are concerned about an open border and fentanyl and illegal immigration and crime uh, and the economy. CBS News, I played a clip last week of CBS News interviewing independent voters in Phoenix who said, well, I can't vote for Mark Kelly. These two dudes drinking coffee said, can't vote for him. Our economy sucks. And we got all these people coming across the border. You people in the media don't cover. That's right. And Mark Kelly really did cause these problems. I mean, I know the politicians aren't always responsible for everything that happens in the economy, but to a first approximation, no, this inflation happened because of Mark Kelly. He was the 50th vote, the tie-breaking vote in a deadlocked Senate, and he chose to vote for all of Biden's demented spending, right? The trillions and trillions in spending. They printed money, they spent it, they mostly wasted it, and that caused this massive inflation. Mark Kelly could have stood up and said no to Joe Biden's America last energy policies. The policies that surrendered are hard-won energy independence. They made gas expensive. They took gas from $2 to $6. Now they want a prize because it's back around $5 here in the greater Phoenix metro, mostly because Joe Biden, of course, is selling out oil from our strategic reserve. But Mark Kelly, he could have been like Senator Sinema, actually. At least she, God bless her, she told Schumer to go pound sand on the Build Back Better bill if you think inflation is bad now. Imagine how much worse it would be if the Dems got to spend another $3.3 trillion. Mark Kelly was ready to sign that bill. He was ready to vote for it. So he's just a rubber stamp for Joe Biden. He caused this inflation. Certainly he failed to prevent it. And and that alone means he should lose his job this November. Now, let's talk more directly about you and, and the issues you're running on. And obviously it's, it's Mark Kelly and it's Joe Biden. Uh, what issues strike you as like there? Me being in Georgia might not realize they're an issue, but to Arizonans, like water, for example, what, what issues out there really have Arizona voters worked up? The first thing that comes to mind is the border. You know, and I look, I know this is a national issue. Unfortunately, Joe Biden and his lieutenants in Congress who have enabled this horrible agenda, they've turned every county, not just in Arizona, but every county in America into a border county. Right. Because the illegals, when they come in, they don't just stay here on the border. The fentanyl, when it comes in, it comes to every single community in this country. But of course, we in Arizona bear the brunt of this border crisis. Uh, 300,000 people cross our southern border every single month, not every year, every month, 300,000. Wow. It's been uh, Joe Biden and Mark Kelly, right, by getting rid of the Trump era policies like remain in Mexico that had actually secured our border and things were under control. No, they laid out the welcome mat and they've welcomed more than four and a half million illegal aliens in the last 21 months. They've basically 
worked hand-in-hand with the Mexican drug cartels to traffic four and a half million human beings into our country illegally. And there's sort of all these problems attendant to that, of course. It overwhelms the the public schools. It overwhelms the hospitals. It makes uh, taxpayers have to to bear the burden. Crime goes up. Homicide in Phoenix is up 50 percent since 2019. In my hometown of Tucson, homicide's up 87 percent since 2019. Almost double the number of people are getting murdered, right? And the fentanyl, my gosh, we literally don't have time to chronicle all the problems that this border crisis has caused. But what's clear is that Joe Biden and Mark Kelly have caused the border crisis. Was it perfect two years ago? No, nothing's ever perfect in this world, but it was pretty darn good. It okay. was under control. I, I got to jump in here. I, I got to ask you a question, because whenever we see news footage, whether it's a Fox or, or the occasional coverage from another another reporter at another network, it's Hidalgo, it's it's El Paso, it's McAllen, it's Laredo, all in Texas. Does it kind of frustrate people in Arizona that no one's in Arizona showing the border crisis in Arizona? Three hundred thousand crossings a month. I mean, that's that's amazing to me. And, and nobody covers the border problem in Arizona. It's all let's go to Texas and, and have some burritos and, and cover it in El Paso. Well, it's bad in Texas, too, you know, so I don't want to compete yeah, for where it's worse. I mean, that we hear about that one. Is for the whole the 300,000 a month is for the whole whole southern border, oh, okay, including okay. Texas. But, but it's Arizona and Texas. You know, it, it's actually not so much California, even though they share a border with Mexico, because they have a wall there. <laughs> Isn't yeah. that interesting? We don't talk about that enough. Um, but, yeah, Yuma, Arizona, right? I mean, Martha's Vineyard freaked out because they got 50 illegals one time. Yuma, Arizona doesn't get 50 one time. They get 50 every single hour. Gosh. And this is just it's a humanitarian crisis. There's a drug crisis. There's a crime crisis. Plus, call me old-fashioned, but the correct amount of illegal immigration is zero. Like, we're not supposed to have any of it. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be apprehended, and hey, nothing personal, but you're deported back to your home country when you try to break into ours. But Biden and Mark Kelly, they've disempowered our brave men and women of law enforcement, Border Patrol, ICE, and how demoralizing is that? It's just a really, really dangerous situation, and people here in Arizona are absolutely fed up with it. Now, if you're just tuning in, I'm talking to Blake Masters, Republican candidate for the Senate in Arizona. Blake, I actually want to talk about the water issue with you because, one, I thought it was notable you brought it up in the debate. It doesn't get a lot of coverage, but with the drought out west, even though there have been some torrential rains lately out there, it this is an issue that the rest of us in the country never really have to pay attention to. I mean, what's can you just talk about the border crisis and what possible solutions there are for it? Sure. Well, basically, we live in a desert. The, we live in a drought, right? The Colorado River is sort of at its lowest in recent history, and we're growing. Arizona is growing like crazy. And so those things do not add up to a happy future, right? The state is on track to run out of water a lot sooner than we'd like. So Mark Kelly says, oh, this isn't an existential crisis. No, it absolutely is. We need to solve it, but if we don't, we're done as a state. So what has he done? He's done absolutely nothing. In fact, recently, the federal government cut Arizona's water allocation. Um, some cuts were triggered because we're in a huge drought. And California had to pay no cuts at all. They had to pay no price for this drought. Well, Arizona got its cut tremendously. And so what did Mark Kelly do? Nothing. Right. He just does nothing. Now, I have a lot of ideas on this. One is politics. We need to renegotiate the centuries old agreements that govern how Arizona shares uh, water with California. But why aren't we talking about technological solutions? Right. We need to innovate our way out of this. Look at a map. 
why is California putting its straw into the Colorado River? Why are we fighting about that water? California is on the Pacific Ocean, right? And we know how to desalinate water with just half of the $700 billion that the Democrats just wasted in the Inflation Reduction Act. We could be breaking ground on new desalination plants in the Pacific Ocean, in the Sea of Cortez, right? Pipe that water in, power the whole operation with nuclear reactors. We know how to do this, but we don't have a senator in Arizona that's willing to fight for it. And so that's why in the debate I said, I'm tired of Mark Kelly acting like the third senator from California. Let's get us a second senator from Arizona. Wouldn't that be nice? Amen to that. Now, listen, before I let you go, I ask this of every candidate, particularly candidates who this is your first time running for office. Uh, how do you balance your your campaign trail with also, I know you've got a family. How, how do you make that balance work? I'm not sure I have. And my wife, God bless her. You know, it's it's always harder on the candidate's spouse. But, you know, I got three young boys. They're eight, six and two. We homeschool the boys. And so we try to get them out on the campaign trail with me as much as possible, right? Running for office is not easy. Uh, I chose to do it. I'm not going to complain about it. In fact, I think it's really fun. And it's especially fun when we can get those boys in the giant campaign van and go and teach them, uh, here's what a campaign rally is, right? Here's what a, here's what a, uh, here's what the Senate does, right? My kids didn't know what the Senate was. I mean, they were five years old when I started running. <laughs> and so it's just this giant civics project. It's a family project. Uh, but do I owe my wife a nice vacation after we win this thing? Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're definitely going to. I feel like that every campaign year when my wife says, is it ever going to slow down? Like, maybe, but it never does. And I'm not even running for office. Listen, uh, a real pleasure getting you on. I, I've i just been struck with the collapse of Mark Kelly's polling and your rise in Arizona. Uh, I know we got a lot of listeners out there and just happy to, to have you on here and talk about these. So thank you so much and God bless you. Thank you so much. Two weeks to victory. Let's go do it. Amen. Blake Masters, U.S. Senate candidate, Republican out in Arizona, who went from being uh, double digits behind Mark Kelly to now tied race in Arizona. Everyone counted him out. And now Republicans are pouring money back into Arizona to help him. One of the groups that's out there doing door knocking, trying to help just find independent voters and educate them about the issues. They're not even explicitly for the GOP. They're just there a grassroots organization that wants to educate voters on the issues of free markets and free people, it's AFP. They've been doing door knocking, trying to find compelling messages to get conservative voters to go vote out there. And I'm glad to partner with them as kind of a, a brain trust, so to speak, because they do great policy papers at the local level for people to get involved in politics. So, for example, you want to go to the school board because you're opposed to all the woke agenda. AFP teaches you how to be a good activist, to be able to go to your school board, to be able to go to your state legislature, to sound intelligent, to know what you're talking about, to be able to articulate and get your views across. They help you become a good grassroots warrior. Great organization. Around the country, there are local chapters. There's probably one near you. Go find it at americansforprosperity.org slash eric, americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. You can find one local chapter wherever you are or... Volunteer to start your local chapter if they don't have one where you are. State by state, they're building out. Uh, they're starting a group group in Alabama now, I know. They're just a fine organization of great people who support free markets and free people. They haven't gone wobbly as so many people have kind of lost their minds in the last few years. They have always focused on free markets and free people, and that's why I'm delighted to partner with them.
As The Voice said, you should text SHOW to 33777. Click that bottom link to the show notes and subscribe. You're missing a lot of information in these last two weeks of the election. Now, I want to take a phone call. Mark, you're going to be up first today. Welcome to the show, Mark. Hi, Eric. Thanks. I uh, I just told you to call screen earlier that I was listening to CNBC this morning. I heard Joe Scarborough. I didn't hear the entire conversation, but talking about the election in Georgia and that he should have read the entire law before commenting and that uh, talking about the record turnout we have in Georgia. And he's also talking about the fact that uh, it's easier to vote in Georgia than it is in New York. And I thought yes. that, I found that fairly interesting. Yeah, that, that's actually made a lot of buzz. And Stacey Abrams actually had a press call with members of the media to push back on his statement uh, shortly, uh, just a short time ago, saying that essentially she's making unfalsifiable arguments, saying just because we're having an increase in voting doesn't mean voters aren't being suppressed. The law still suppresses people. This is what my kids take a logic class. They go to a classical Christian school where you, I mean, you learn Latin and you have to take a logic class. And unfalsifiable arguments are arguments of poor logic designed to bypass having to win an argument. You just say, you just say that just because more voters are voting doesn't mean there's suppression. Well, show me the suppression. And they can't. They can't show the suppression. They've trotted out two people, two people with claims of voter suppression. And clearly the people just didn't know what they were supposed to do. When you have this big surge, it matters. By the way, uh, my buddy Jake Walker is doing the turnout modeling in Georgia for the early vote. Republicans are really enthusiastic about what they're seeing. Multiple Republicans are telling me by Wednesday, they will have a sense of whether Walker wins outright or will need a runoff. That's how excited they are by the turnout they're seeing in Georgia. In Florida, the turnout for Ron DeSantis is through the roof. In Ohio, what's taking shape there is a massive surge for J.D. Vance at the end. Uh, that uh, The Republicans who were voting for Dwine there for re-election are coming home to J.D. Vance at the end. And everywhere, Republicans are encouraged by early voting. Now, if you come to the uh, gun range event, on Friday night in Kennesaw, Georgia, wherever you are, uh, those of you up on WRGF in Rome, you're more than welcome. Those of you on WGAU up in Athens, you're more than welcome. Any, all of you listening are more than welcome to come to Kennesaw, hang out with me, and I will give you the inside scoop. By Friday evening, we will have a sense, can Herschel Walker win without a runoff based on the early voting numbers? I will give you the skinny on what I know. We'll have it by Friday evening for sure. The data analysis will be run. Text Bourbon to 33777. Come get the insider knowledge. You're not even going to be able to get here on the radio program before that weekend because we're not going to have the data until late in the day. But I'll have a good sense for you of what, where it's shaping up. And right now it actually looks good. So I've got an affiliate out in Greene County, Georgia. That's Lake Oconee. And the numbers out there... Republican voting in, in Greene County is over 100% of where it was in 2020. Now, why that matters is because that's a very Republican part of the state, well-to-do. I've seen, I was out doing an event in Morgan and Greene County, Georgia. I've seen more Herschel Walker signs out there than anywhere else in the state combined. And they're turning out, they've already exceeded their 2020 turnout. 
in the North Georgia sector that has massive Republican numbers in Georgia, some of those counties are already in excess of 100% of their turnout. Others are above 90% of their turnout uh, this time, 2020. Those are really encouraging signs for the Republicans that some of these counties have already exceeded their 2020 early voting turnout. So much for voter suppression. Abrams is falling apart. When we come back, I actually want to break down some of the races. Florida, Ohio, Georgia, states presumed to be purple. They're not very purple this year. The data coming in is tremendous, including in Florida. A Democratic legislator is complaining that the Democratic legislator's son is going to vote for Ron DeSantis because he credits DeSantis with saving the guy's business.